Hello, everybody. Welcome to another half episode of the Netflix Martyrs. This week's short round continues our conversation from Elizabethtown on the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and it goes some places we honestly didn't expect it to go. Pam, Rob, and I talk gender roles, sexism in film, a little film history, maybe even some life-affirming lessons are espoused. Now, I just want to get the plugs out of the way right off the bat so you can enjoy the rest of the show. First off, Apple knows who we are now. We're a real podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave a five-star review. Tell them how great we are. As always, you can friend us on Facebook and follow the show there as well. We have a Twitter, at Netflix Martyrs, that maybe someday we'll figure out how to use. If you want to get in on the conversation, shoot us an email with questions, comments, or criticism to netflixmartyrs at gmail.com, and we'd love to read what you have to say on the air in an upcoming episode. A few days ago, we got an email from Jake Willis, who had this to say. First off, love the show. Secondly, I was wondering if you're open to recommendations or suggestions for future installments. You seem to be going for stuff other bad movie podcasts haven't dug into yet, so might I recommend Prayer of the Roller Boys. It's a latter-day Corey Haim vehicle about rollerblading gangs in the post-apocalypse, and the whole thing is on YouTube. Thirdly, Alyssa Milano's first feature film role was not Double Dragon. She was Arnold's daughter in the action classic Commando. Keep up the good work. Well, Jake, thank you so much for writing in, and thank you so much for listening. You are absolutely right. Alyssa Milano's first feature film was not Double Dragon, and for two guys who love action movies as much as Rob and I do, and who've probably seen Commando about a thousand times combined, I can't believe we whiffed on that one. As for that Corey Haim film, we're definitely, definitely going to look into that. It looks like something that you may see on a future episode, so stay tuned. All right, now, on to the discussion. Anyone have any examples of the quote unquote manic pixie dream girl? Rob, you want to take this one? Sure. Well, I guess I'll, I'll go back to talking about how I feel that this is a, a particularly relevant topic because the manic pixie dream girl is very uh, active in popular culture right now. I mean, here we are, you know, Elizabeth Town is six or seven years old now, and, and this sort of idea of this girl who does these crazy things but is so lovable by not only the the protagonist but also everyone around him, you know, to, despite her, you know, like uh, quirks and, and weird things that she does, she is just the coolest chick that you could ever imagine. And it sets up not only, I think, um, the basis for these romantic films, but also 
people who watch them are now thinking that there are women out there who exude these qualities and we can see it in pop culture you know on a weekly basis as we talked about before with new girl and the whole zoe deschanel thing i mean she may be the 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 best living example because she's I mean, you can't even put her in a in an iPhone commercial without her just drooling all over it with manicness. People who maybe <laughs> don't have a girlfriend or who just broke up with with a bad one are maybe looking for somebody who is like, I want them to make me a mixtape. I want them to do this for me. I'm gonna find this girl who is like this, and it's it's very much of the now. I mean, with the Every Instagram picture taken by a manic pixie dream girl, every Facebook update about how, oh, I think I'm, I, I like to do this. Like, I, I like to just wear PJs all day and do headstands while I listen to Ella Fitzgerald. Well, are, are you, did you just imply that the manic pixie dream girl is just a hipster? Because that's interesting. Well, you know what? I, I think we are almost post-hipster. I mean, anyone who wears a mustache these days or a flannel shirt is a hipster. We have, we have come to identify certain um, societal tropes as hipster-related, even if they're maybe not. I mean, like, I can't go out to a bar and see someone drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon and be like, that's a fucking hipster. How long has that beer been around? Like, they've, they've hijacked these things, and hipster is such a broad term that... And I don't know about you guys, I know some hipsters, man. Like, I, I know some, and I know some very well. And they would never say, like, yes, I am one. Hipster is always meant to look down upon a group of people that you are not in. There's always going to be that guy or that girl who just lives a little bit outside what is the norm and if they do it a little bit too aggressively they become hipster so like that word i think is losing steam i think that it may not be as as defined as it used to be when they first came up with the concept of the hipster yeah i heard a great definition of a hipster that was anybody who is younger than you and having more fun than you now you talked about zoe deschanel a little bit and yeah, I think that iTunes, not iTunes, the iPhone commercial was like peak twee. Like that was the zoeiest thing she's ever done. And I don't watch New Girl, so I don't know yeah. if she's worse on that, but that commercial is insufferable. It, it was pretty bad. I mean, and I know we, we kind of talked about 500 Days of Summer. I didn't mind her in that movie because, I don't know, I mean, as, as kind of like, you know, goofy and cute as she was. She was also kind of balanced out in the fact that, you know, when it came towards, if you've never seen the movie, it's not a big spoiler. She, you know, balanced out by towards the end of her relationship with Joseph Gordon-Lovett's character in that movie. I mean, she wasn't so overly one way. Like, she wasn't so overly, like, Kirsten Dunst's character in this, in Elizabethtown, she was, you know, she was a balanced person. When she was trying to woo the guy, she was being sweet and adorable and, like, you know, look at all these fun things I'm going to make you do with me. And then towards the end of the relationship, she's like, fuck it, you know, I'm not in anymore. Don't want to be here. Peace now. Which, I mean, I think is, is a normal human thing when you want to win someone over, you're the best version of yourself and then mm. kind of become who you really are. Well, 500 Days of Summer is interesting because I think that movie is kind of a response to the Manic Pixie Dream Girl idea because 
in Tom's uh, Joe Gordon Levitt's character in Tom's mind, she is the one. She yeah. is that manic pixie dream girl, who in a normal movie like this, they would do all the quirky stuff, and he would be validated by getting the attention of the girl. Yeah. But in this movie, from the beginning, she says, I am not the one. And the whole movie is kind of mocking that idea of the manic pixie dream girl, that a guy needs this validation from somebody, when most of the time that person doesn't exist. And that's why I think 500 Days of Summer is actually an excellent movie, compared to Garden State or Elizabethtown. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like now, finally, like, again, we were, we were talking about briefly with gender roles, I guess, in Elizabethtown and mm-hmm. how much creepier Kristen Dunst, or Kristen Dunst would have been if she was a man hitting on a female passenger, as I mentioned. But I think that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, is, is almost a response to the Prince Charming um, archetype of a man in films. Like, for instance, and this still comes out all the time, the, the most recent... I get, I mean, I don't know if this is the most recent, but the one, and I didn't see this, but the I Don't Know How She Does It film with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, in which she, as a female, is the successful businesswoman who devotes her life to her career, you know, as we see men do in so many films. And that's what the Manic Pixie Dream Girl does so well from the female perspective. But I think if you look back on movies going back, I think a really long time in film from the beginning of films is that you have a woman whose life is great. The only thing she's missing is a man. And there are men in her life who are like her that don't fulfill this need to to make her think that my job is not better than my life. And even in Elizabethtown and, and in some of these other movies too, it's like, you know, what is better, love or your job? Is, is your job better than you? Are you your job or is your job something that you do? And I think that just recently now, Hollywood has decided to, with movies like, you know, uh, Garden State and Elizabethtown and, and I'm sure several others that, I can't even think of, but to to switch that over to say, what if this happened to a lonely male who's good at his job and needs something because they've done it for women countless decades. And now we're finally seeing a shift, I think is, is relevant to say the birth of the manic pixie dream girl comes at a time where men may be feeling emasculated, feeling, you know, weaker, you know, back in the day, everything was cool. And it was only the women that needed saving, but now the men do too. So here's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and I think that's how that ideal sort of fits. I agree with some of your points. I think, okay, so as as a girl, I think, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting shift in what society wants from us now. I mean, not to be like this whole like soapbox thing, it's not what I mean this, this to be, but like, you know, the old ideal of what the perfect, Hollywood girlfriend was, you know, in movies was, you know, this super pretty kind of... Not that there haven't been quirky girls in film for a while. I mean, Molly Ringwald was a, a definite example of the quirky lead girl who somehow still got the guy, even though she was a little different. And, you know, she was supposed to be the hero for the the underdog chick, I guess. But now it seems like, you know, where she was kind of an exception to a rule it seems like that's changed. Now the rule is that the nerdy, quirky girls are the ones that you know, guys want, and you you have to kind of have your own little niche, and you've got to be your own, like, 
weird individual and it's okay to have like strange hobbies and to you know do all of this stuff and guys will dig that and to a certain extent i guess that's cool that you're you know you're telling girls like go out and do whatever you want you don't have to fit this this stereotype but in another way you're also making a stereotype of being like well if you want to be interesting to guys now you have to be you have to be kind of a, a little bit of a manic pixie dream girl yourself or else guys aren't going to like you. Like you have to have something that's going to make them want to notice. It's interesting how it shifted, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. There is a shift, but still for every pathetic guy that is a character that needs validation from a girl, there's still seven or eight extremely sexist, horrible messaging, sending movies what Rob was saying about how a woman is successful but isn't truly successful until she's married. Jennifer Lopez, she's she's a wedding planner. She's got a great job. She's doing great, but she's there's something missing. Uh, Catherine Heigl is a, jur- a rock journalist, but something's missing. Sarah Michelle Gellar is a cook, uh, but fucking Jennifer Aniston's a zoologist. But still, things are still missing, and it's extremely sexist. It's really offensive that the only successful women in film either have something missing and need a husband or are these ice queen bitches. And I hate that. I hate both of those archetypes. And it's absolutely true because that's what the the movies are showing us time and time again is that you can't have everything. Like something is always kind of wrong in your life. And then if you if you think about what the Manic Pixie Dream Girls are, are there to do, um, do any of them in these films, do they have a career or 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 something where they feel you know unique because i think a lot of these movies show the woman as being unique through the eyes of the man who loves her or who thinks he's falling for her is anyone going to care that kirsten dunst in elizabethtown takes little fake pictures with a little camera no but orlando bloom as her you know, protagonist love interest may think that that's the cutest thing he's ever seen. I, I definitely agree with that, but I think I think the manic pixie dream girl idea kind of diverts a little bit because in most movies where you have these characters, granted the focus is on the male and you know, you know him pursuing them, the things he finds attractive about these girls. Like you're saying, I agree, but most of the girls are like these free spirited. I go where I want to go. I do what I want to do. You can come along for the ride. You don't have to. I'm going to keep going. I like you. You're cool. But they kind of have the power in these movies. And maybe that's just because, because the males are emasculated. So in a way, I mean, yes, their purpose really is just to, to further the male character along. And in that way, I mean, it's kind of sexist, but... At the same time, they get they get to be the truly like you know you you guys were saying before other female movie characters when they're the lead they're striving for a relationship or striving for you know a husband and if they don't have that then their life's not complete and I agree with you that's completely true and it's a totally sexist and totally ridiculous so then maybe are manic pixie dream girls the only true like female characters then because they can just come and go as they please and. You know, they're kind of whimsical and do what they want. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I find the Manic Pixie Dream Girl kind of offensive, too. A lot of films, if you know the the theory of or the concept of the male gaze, it's, you know, the camera puts the audience into the role of the male. And this happens a lot in films where like a, a, 
the camera will linger on like a woman's ass or like her tits or something and like we're forced to to be doing that that male gaze and film a lot of the times kind of comes from a masculine perspective and i feel like the manic pixie dream girl is just male gaze for quote unquote nice guys like those shit sippers that you hear talking about like oh why do girls always go for the asshole guys like i feel like the manic pixie dream girl is just male gaze for those guys it's like this object of desire that they're not looking at as a person they're looking at as a concept and they're fetishizing it but because it's not just focusing on their body parts it's supposed to be better but it's really not it's still offensive in its own special kind of quirky stupid way I mean, I think you definitely have some uh, some good points with that because if you look at the actresses who are playing these roles, they're they're maybe not the romantic lead in a movie from the '80s. They would not be the chick that, let's say, Arnold Schwarzenegger is trying to save. These these big these big action movies where the girl is the the bait or the prize, and they have little else to do with their own fate. Men. Men kidnap them, you know. Men hold them for ransom, and another man has to save her, and she loves the man who saves her from the bad man. I mean, movies are definitely beyond that. This has been the idea for so long, and like Pam had said, now this woman is offering something to the man where she's saving him. I think is even more um, interesting to see what the women who are playing these roles look like. They all have a very, there is a look, I think, that has been established as well. They're not round and, and, and circular. Like, they don't have a circular, round, big hair, big boobs, curves look. Like, they're, they're very sleek. These women are sleek women. They wear sleek dresses. They have sharp lipstick. They're, their whole look. Yeah, and it's also the new standard of, I mean, but even just, you know, on a broader scope, culture is changing a lot in that the underdogs are now the cool ones. It's like, you know, indie things are cool. Um, comics are cool. Being a nerd is awesome. Like, now has, has never been a time that is cooler to be a nerd than now. Like, if you like nerdy things, we are making a movie for it. We are making a show for it. We are just nerding out on everything. And, you know, everybody wants to be a nerd. And even if you have no nerdy bones in your body, if you, like, completely think... I mean, and that's... Again, and it's, you know, what even makes a nerd now because so many of the things that classify people as nerds are popular culture. And it's just interesting to see the shift. All of these things that before they didn't want to like or were told it was kind of, like, weird to like. And I think this is just a branching off of that. Going into, like, the history of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, where it started, and granted, Nathan Rabin coined this phrase only a handful of years ago, and Elizabethtown was only 2005, not even 10 years. I think the Manic Pixie Dream Girl itself goes a lot farther back than that. I would say it goes back almost to the 20s. There are films where you have guys falling in love with flappers who take them on these adventures and break them out of their humdrum lives. And there, of course, the flappers were kind of almost... They were the wild girls of the the 1920s. So it kind of makes sense. But the the prototypical Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I've, I've narrowed it down to two, I think, that a lot of modern screenwriters try to emulate. And that's Diane Keaton 
in Woody Allen films, specifically Absolutely. Annie Hall. Yeah, Annie Hall, I think, is one of the prototypical ones, and also Holly Golightly. And that was, I mean, you saw that in Elizabethtown. They directly try to compare Kirsten Dunst to Audrey Hepburn, and I don't yeah. think that works in any way. But I think Holly Golightly and Annie Hall are kind of the ones that all of these modern screenwriters want their manic pixie dream girls to be. I'm thinking back to like the, the so-and-so like great romantic comedies. And again, what I like to do sometimes to think about this is like to replace an actor or an actress with someone else and to see how that film would have worked. And I, I, my mind goes to when Harry met Sally, uh, which I actually example. do enjoy. I do like that movie. Um, I like the idea of people drifting in and out of each other's lives and, and their whole like interactions as they grow older like their life happens to them and they happen to see each other again i i think that movie is is well done but uh, you know the famous scene of her like faking an orgasm in the diner that's like so manic pixie dream girl don't you agree like that yeah. is so outrageous like and then the old woman to say i'll have what she's having like it's it's so over the top and like for a movie that came out with Billy Crystal like back in whatever the eighties or, or what have you, like that movie was way before the term, but I think that even Meg Ryan's character, the the Sally character in the film, if you talk to people who love romantic comedies or even people who like these kind of movies, like that's always up there, you know, on the lists. You know, of the, that's like one of the, the psychos of their top ten lists, you know. And but even that she was quite manic and maybe not pixie but definitely manic to do you know some of the things that she did in the scope of that film i don't disagree with this manic pixie dream girl thing like i don't think it's a bad thing necessarily i think it may set up false expectations um but i think it's been there for a while as chris has said even back to you know early film have either of you ever seen the film harold and maude i have not I'm not that's that's an interesting one because the manic pixie dream girl in that is like 75 years old. And I've brought this up before and people vehemently deny that Maud is a manic pixie dream girl. Um that's something I just want to put out there. I would love if you're if if you're listening and you have an opinion on that, throw it on the Facebook because uh I'd love I'd love someone to I'm wondering if there's anyone out there who sees that, that despite the fact that she's older and she's almost acting as a mother figure to Harold, um, she's still very much a manic pixie dream girl because she's the object of desire for Harold. And she does kind of bring him out of his depression and show him that it's beautiful to live to the tune of several shitty Cat Stevens songs. And that that's a great phrase that you just said it's beautiful to live like that is the root and the and the womb where all manic pixie dream girls live is that like it is beautiful to live like these are the things in life and life is a little weird like you may have to be quirky to point out some things that are actually kind of nice like having a favorite tree if you're somebody who's so wrapped up in the you know, regular expectations and the regular grind. If you're somebody who cares too much about his or her job, you may need, like I said, a Prince Charming or like a Manic Pixie Dream Girl to bring you out of that. And I think that's why these sort of characters are so well-documented and so admired to say, you know, especially now with the culture that we see. You know, you, you want a job, you get a job, you hate your job. You love that you have a job, but you fucking hate it. And, like, if that's all you got, 
you need somebody to give you perspective. These films are all about gaining perspective, whether you are a man or a woman. And at the root of it, it's it's whoever the main character is has lost perspective on their life. Their priorities are skewed, and they need someone who is going to be a shock to the system. They don't just need an attractive lady. They just don't need a handsome man. They need someone whose entire set of priorities is going to turn theirs on their ear and make them rethink their whole life structure. And, like, I think people want that. I mean, I, I think that people do what they need to do, like real people. I'm talking about, you know, me and you and whoever out there and uh, who, who may or may not be listening. You know what you are, and you might not like it. And you think you may be something more, but there's going to take someone else to reaffirm that you are what you think you may be. And if you find that person, they may be a manic pixie dream girl, hacky sacking, bike rider, dog rescuer. It's going to work out. And there may be somebody who brings you to this point in your life where you say, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing to be happier than I thought I was when I thought I was happy. And that's the growth of a human. Like, that's what people think, or at least are told to think, that they need to achieve because you need to be striving to be better than what you are, even if you think you have it awesome. And that is the goal, I think, of, of these film people. Yeah, extremely astute. I just want to, I think that summed up anything I could have said as well. Um, I just want to throw out three examples of, you know, quote unquote, manic pixie dream girls in film that I love, who I think buck the trend of just being quirky archetypes, like Kirsten Dunst or Natalie Portman in Garden State, uh, ones who I think their, their quirks and their attitudes fit the film very well, and that's Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. Mm. Um, Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great choice. And B.B. Anderson in Wild Strawberries. Um, So I just wanted to throw those out there before I passed it back to our own resident manic pixie dream girl for for closing arguments. Uh, Well, now that you've... Maybe I do first. Maybe I am one. Well, you do have a quirky Um, job. I do have a pretty quirky job. Wow, I totally lost my train of thought on that. Thanks, Chris. I've thrown you off. You're wondering (laughs) Um, if you really are a Manny Pixie Dream Girl. Everything's falling apart. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, no. I'm the one supposed to be gluing it back together. I can't be falling apart. Um, No, I guess I was just going to say I agree with... um, I do agree with Rob on a lot of the points he made. Um, Would I suggest Elizabethtown as being the movie that you resonate with if you feel that way? No, I feel like there are probably a lot of better choices out there for you um you might have to dig around a little bit but i don't think this is a movie you should seek to uh to relate to um i guess where i fall on this whole thing that we've gone back and forth and a lot of things i hadn't thought about about the whole manic pussy dream girl um archetype before this conversation um it's not necessarily a good thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing um I think, you know, you as a, as a female speaking to other females out there, don't feel like you have to get some kind of weird quirk or weird little hand gesture or thing that you do for guys to like you. But if you have those, good for you. And boys will probably still like you. So <laughs> I guess I fall in the middle ground on this one now that we've reached the end. 
right, all right, guys. We got a little, little more like uh, philosophical, a little more in depth there. I like it. I'd like to do some more of that. It's quite fun. Um, it was a weighty topic. It was. There's a lot to talk about, especially when you get into you know female and male roles in movies. You can kind of go off on a lot of tangents on that one. So. It was certainly handled with more depth, tact, and subtleness than Cameron Crowe was able to do in Elizabethtown. <laughs> Heyo! If the Swedish director Ingmar Bergman was still with us, what a monster mind! But Charlie, he'd have trouble with us. See, I wouldn't like to be. Max von Sydow couldn't play you Max von Sydow couldn't play you